Hello, Bears fans, and welcome to another edition of Bears on Tap. You're probably sick of my voice already, but I am Ron Luce, and I am joined by the mastermind of this operation, Mr. Quentin Crisco at Butkus Stats on the old X app. We're going to hashtag crack them because we got a full show today, Q, because we've got Packers talk. But it's over. It's finally over. The season is done. This is the first show after the season has concluded. And, of course, I know everybody's tuning in. You probably don't care to hear about the Packers game, but the things you do want to hear about, the coaches, what's up to come this offseason, all the decisions that are going to be at hand, et cetera, we're also going to touch on here tonight. But before we get into everything football, Q, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. It is uh, – I'm not going to lie. By, by the time that game was over Sunday, I was just I was just relieved that the season's done and we're we're on to the next one. You know, like we are mm-hmm. the 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 hope is back alive to build this thing for next year and what that could be. That's exciting to me. That's what I've you know kind of been waiting for for feels like half the season now. Outside of a little blip where the playoffs felt possible before the Browns you know destroyed my dreams, but so it's. I'm kind of glad to be here, be where we are and be get the ball rolling on off season, on free agency, on draft and, you know, catch some NFL playoffs in the process. 100%. I'm right there with you, man. I think the sigh of relief is, I think, what a lot of Bears fans felt after what truly was a roller coaster of a 2023 season. Um, it's all done. It's all over. They can't hurt us anymore. Well, that's not entirely true, but at least they can't hurt us on the field until next year. Um, and it, it's it's going to be a hell of an offseason, and obviously we're going to get into that here a little bit as well on this show, um, but plenty of other shows over the course, obviously, of this offseason. Bears on Tap will be coming back as well. Uh, but for everybody watching along, whether you're on X, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook, tune into the comment section throughout the show. Give us your thoughts because we're going to dive in to everything from the coaching stuff, as we noted, to some of the offseason uh, decisions that are obviously at hand for the front office. And we want to hear your inputs like our friend Skokes here in the comments. Dudes, what's up, Skokes? How you doing, buddy? Um, and everybody else as well. Mr. Snipey in your front yard says, I still can't believe Get Shit hasn't been fired yet in relation to Luke Getzey. I haven't heard that nickname yet, but I'm you kind of a fan it. of it. It's I, good. I, might we might have to roll with that? I like that get <laughs> shit instead of get see, but um, all things, but just like those two, please jump in the comments, share your thoughts, and we'll we'll post them right below us here throughout the show. Uh, and honestly, they'll probably work their way into the conversation as well. So be a part of the show if you would like to head over to the YouTube, like, subscribe, hit the bell button, you know the drill, follow along at Bears on Tap on the socials, and you can join the conversation with Q and I here tonight. But Q, let's dive into this thing, right? Packers, this, this. This we're already going to make this an explicit episode. This fucking team that is north of Chicago continues to piss me off. I know it pissed you off on Sunday. I saw your your posts out there throughout the game as well. I mean, just Q, I don't think you have the answer, but maybe you do. Why is it that no matter how good or bad the Bears are, they just cannot beat Green Bay? Because Bo Melton and Dontavian Wicks are so good. Ah, why? Atrocious! It's I so mean, bad. Like I, I liked, I liked Bo Melton when he was coming out the draft. I thought he fell too far and sh- probably should have made Seattle's roster because they drafted him. But like, he's not that good, you know. Like and like, what man? If that was a case for Eberflus's defense and what this team can be, it was pathetic. I mean, 
you are playing off coverage all game. It looked like the exact same game plan from week one. Yes. They they threw out the blitzes. They threw out the any simulated pressures. They weren't pressing at the line of scrimmage. They were just sitting back and saying, we're going to force turnovers somehow. Like, that's not how this works. That's not how you guys have been having success the last, what, five home games in a row that you won? That's not what you were doing. So why are you doing it now? It makes no sense. And I'm almost stuck with this thought in my mind of that was Matt Eberflew seeing if he had enough developed talent yet to run it the way he wants to. And if that's the way he wants to run it, I don't know why he's still here. Yeah. No, I think that's an entirely fair thought, Q, because like you said, it felt like the Bears defense, and just honestly, the Bears as a whole, for being brutally honest, took a step back in this game. And I think that was the concern, right? You and I sat here and talked about it with, with Juice at the beginning of the season, right? And we said we wanted to see growth over an 18-week season. And we understood that the growth wouldn't necessarily be linear. It would have its ups and downs just like this season did as a roller coaster. But we wanted to see the growth, and at the end of the day, at the end of the season, feel better about where this team was compared to week one. And I still do. I think there was a lot of good things that obviously happened, as you alluded to, right, in yeah. that stretch, winning five consecutive home games. There was a lot of good shit that happened. But for all of that development and growth that occurred to effectively just be crinkled up like a piece of paper and thrown out the window, was like you said, it was pathetic. It was a pathetic showing. Because let's be honest, the Packers didn't do anything revolutionary. Jordan Love hit the open receivers. They ran the one throw. The one throw was dirty in the end zone. That didn't get caught. That was filthy. But other than that, I mean, yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, but but you're 100% (laughs) right, right? He made some plays. And somehow they still managed to create a turnover against him with the forced fumble on the scramble. But nonetheless... They just failed to do everything. They sat back. They let these receivers catch everything. It felt like Tucker Craft was open six yards, seven yards downfield on every single play. It didn't matter. There was no pressure, which was something that this Bears team was thriving off of. This Bears team, I I think a lot of people that don't follow the NFL as a whole, maybe, and like look at stats for league-wide from, you know, time to time, the Bears were leading. I don't know how it shook out yet. I haven't looked yet, but... They were leading the league as a team in interceptions. But out of those 22, 19 of them came in like the last nine weeks of the season. Yeah. They were so good because they were creating pressure, because they were forcing quarterbacks to be uncomfortable. And then this defense was able to eat the way that we saw the Levy Smith defenses do it back in the 2000s. And even the Eberflus defenses in Indianapolis did before he accepted the head coaching job here in Chicago. And to your point, Q. They said, nope, we're not going to do what works because that makes too much fucking sense. And we're going to just do this garbage of letting every Packers player catch every ball and run for 45 yards after the catch. It's like it it really was one of those games, at least for me, Q, personally, where like the table that was in front of me as I was sitting there like this watching the game looked really appealing to just take the hat off and just start repeatedly banging my head off of it because that's how bad this game ended up becoming. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where it was. I mean, and to your point with the pressure. So Jordan loves time to throw in this game. I think it was like 2.74. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2.74, but man, I don't think it was that a lot of it. Like it might've, I bet you it was 
on non play action dropbacks and non scrambles, I bet you his time to throw is about as high as it gets or as, as low as it gets on that stuff mm-hmm. because they were just taking what the Bears gave them. You know, all yeah. if everyone's lined up 10 yards off the line of scrimmage in coverage, you're just going to take the underneath over and over. And he that's what they did. They just kept taking it. They kept taking it. Now, they took some of some shots throughout the game, but like it's really hard to get pressure when the ball's coming out that fast that often. Mm-hmm. And not not that I think the Bears D-line is world beaters, but like how do you expect to create pressure when you're just playing that conservatively? You're just mm-hmm. it's a poor plan. I do not understand it. Absolutely. Poor plan indeed. Uh another comment here. Absolute shit show by the Bears. Corners getting baked. D-line getting no pressure. No receiver depth outside of DJ Moore. Jenkins had the worst game of his career. Uh get shit had it. It was just being get shit and get see. Uh and, and the eight-point blowout, as he says. Um, in addition, another edge and re-signing JJ number one priorities after the game. Uh, and then says Iberfus was banking on love to make a mistake and throw a bad ball so they could get a free turnover. And it really did feel like that. And when he's got open receivers running 10, 15 yards downfield, it doesn't matter if he's going to make a bad ball. He didn't throw any bad balls <laughs> on Sunday's yeah. game. And it ended up just, it created such frustration. And I, I think Q admittedly, right, you and I sat here pretty much a week ago and said, hey, as of after that Falcons game, everybody felt good. Everybody saw the opportunity maybe for Eberflus to return and Fields to return. And then Sunday happened. And now I think the the narrative has completely changed for a lot of people's minds. I think there's still a lot of people that believe in Justin Fields. But I think the Eberflus, maybe he can stay discussion is completely out the window now. I think everybody, I think everybody's astounded that he hasn't been canned yet because there's been what four head coaches already canned in the last 48 hours or so. Yeah. Since I mean, the completion of Sunday's games. You'd have to think like I, I was shocked by South by two of them, but um, but yeah, you I don't know. I mean, I I guess I always kind of thought if Eberflus was gonna be gone, it was gonna be a time to sit like it was gonna take time. Kevin Warren is such a methodical person and the processes that he wants to do things. I don't think he's going to rush something like that. And I think the reality here is we're talking about the McCaskies who are not a cash rich family. I'm not saying they're poor. They have a ton of wealth, right? They have a ton of wealth in that franchise, but all of their wealth is that franchise, right? They don't have cash on hand to be willy nilly with the money while they're building a stadium. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a real factor in this. I mean, how can it not be? You're talking about having to pay another new coach. How, you're probably still paying Matt Nagy right now. And you're talking sure. about having to pay another new coach. Like, I think Nagy's deal probably would have ran out this season, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think he had two years left. Um, so they're just starting to get the reprieve from Matt Nagy's deal. And you're talking about eating another coach's contract. I think that's going to be an impact. I hate that it is. I hate that it has anything to do with any decision, but I think it does. Yeah, and and I, I think that's where I think that's where a lot of people get frustrated with the McCaskies, right? Because yeah, it's great. You own this this multi-billion dollar entity, but at the end of the day, that's their wealth. It, it's it is the multi-billion dollar entity. They don't have a family business on the side, even just looking around the rest of Chicago, right? 
the Chicago Cubs, the Ricketts family owned TD Ameritrade before that sale. Uh, the the uh, Wirtz family owns uh, Breakthrough Beverage, which is their you know beverage distribution company. That's where their wealth comes from. Jerry Reinsdorf obviously had you know other wealth, real estate he, mogul. Yeah. yeah, even though he even though he spends like a cheap fuck, but that's neither here nor there. Well, real estate. Yeah, but <laughs> but the McCaskies, the McCaskies, like you said, this is their cash cow. This is where their money comes from, and. It, it probably is part of this decision. And there's so many factors that are going to this because the bears are just going to bear as we all know. And we've gotten accustomed to, unfortunately with this franchise that, you know, things, things are going to happen here as well. A couple more comments uh, Q before we uh, continue down the rabbit hole of the coaching uh, carousels. Um, this game was not on fields at all. It was the most obvious let's run the ball the whole time game in recent memory. That's true. There was a whole hour on the clock. Physical clock, like not like game clock, where Fields didn't even throw a pass. An yeah. hour, an hour. That's unacceptable. Harbaugh or Vrabel, please, as uh, a snipey in your front yard says. And then Skokes uh, follows up with a couple here. He says, not even, he's not even considering the current staff. Uh, and unfortunately, Justin Stane, he said he's on to the next need to get it right. Um, and then he said he agreed with you that they're hiding behind their wallets in regards to the McCaskies. And then another follow up from Snipey in your front yard. It's frustrating how much money we waste on horrible coaching, we being the Chicago Bears. And, and Q. I think that's where it's time to to direct our conversation, right? Because I think you're over the Packers game. I'm over the Packers game. There's nothing good to take away from that game, unfortunately, right? Like there was a couple of drives where you're Harry like, oh, maybe. Yes. Talking yes. about him, his PFF numbers didn't come in very strong, but I feel like he probably played a lot better game than what the numbers say. Tyreek was great. I, I think that it, it's so funny how during the draft – Everybody was like, who the hell are these guys that Poles is taking? And they've worked out. Tyreek was phenomenal this season. Probably one of the better rookie corners in football, quite frankly. I, I can't think of any others that were that astronomically better than Tyreek was this year. On top well, of that. To that note, I will say that the building the board team we had last year was all over Javon Dexter, Zach Pickett, and Tyreek Stevenson going into the draft. Those were three of our guys. So. Well, there you go. See, and it's it that's because people Q are ignorant. They want don't know where to go for their resources, but they'll know where to go for their resources, especially this year too. Now that building the board has wandered its way over to Ontap Sportsnet, we'll talk about that a little bit later here in this show as well. Uh, but Q, at the end of the day, it's coming down to the coaching. That's the next peg in this off season, right? Obviously, the debates have already occurred with. What do the Bears do with the number one pick and where where do they go from here and all that stuff? That doesn't get sorted out until probably April. Let's just be brutally honest at this point. But the coaching they can figure out within the next few days, right? Because coaches have been fired. Arthur Smith, gone. I think 1201 officially, right? 1201 AM, I think he was officially. Yeah, something like that. Dunzo, like the tweet came out from Falcons and they were like, nope, we're done with him. He's gone. But Smith, gone. Very surprising one today, Mike Vrabel, gone. Ron yeah. Rivera, gone. I don't think anybody was terribly surprised about Rivera. And then I'm missing one. What am I missing? Uh, I mean, Carolina's coach was already gone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they fired the GM, which yeah, that, salutes that guy. He never has to pay for a drink in Chicago ever again. Thanks thanks to him for, uh, for his decision last year. Um, 
but I think that that those are pretty much the big ones, right? Obviously, like the Giants let their defensive coordinator go. Like there's oh, there's a couple the of Giants little... defensive coordinator let them go. I think fair, <laughs> totally fair. He kind of forced their hand. Wink Martindale just pulled like cranky old man moves on him until they accepted it, which yeah, is hysterical. Like, All right, you're gone, and he's like, "Thank you, thank God, get me out of here." Um, but Q, I mean, it really is now like, I feel like at least personally, all eyes in the NFL, when it comes to the coaching situation are now on the bears because everybody's just mind boggled that Fluce isn't gone yet, or that they at least haven't said anything yet, even in regards to Luke Getze yet OC. What, what is your gut telling you? And, And when do we learn kind of what the, the ultimate decision is, do you think, do we learn it before the end of this week? Or do you think this tinkles, it kind of trickles into next week uh, as a decision that comes much later than most of these coaching uh, firings that have so far? I mean, we can look historically at it. Like when it was a Wednesday when they announced that Matt Nagy was going to come back. Right. So uh, that gives you an idea of the amount of time that those meetings took. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I would think Wednesday, at least by Thursday. I mean, if they're not, if they don't have a decision now by Thursday, then I'm starting to get concerned because you might start missing a beat on getting these interviews scheduled. If you are going the other way. Um, Mm -hmm. And anyone who is expecting a head coach interview this off season has to have the bears at the top of their list. Number one and number nine overall pick. I think it's eighth most cap space in the NFL right now. Um, I mean, there are no bad contracts really sitting on the roster that are going to hurt you. And a core that you can see, you can very clearly see, like the Bears should be the top destination for just about any coaching candidate. So if they are moving on from flus, I would expect that any candidate who is expecting interviews wants to know. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think too, Q, especially now, and maybe this, this is probably maybe more of a question for you because I'm I'm curious of your thoughts on this, but do you think we've seen in the past where the bears have a a coaching opening, they bring in Bill Polian to help accountant Ted Phillips compile this group of guys that the GM has to, you know, the short list of guys that they like, right? A team. Yeah, the 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 A team, more like the D team. Get the fuck out of here. But anyway, do you think now that Kevin Warren is the president of this team that he truly he and polls together? I, I truly believe that he will have input on the decision. Obviously, but do you think this is going to be very different this time around? If if Loose truly is gone, is it truly? It's Warren and Poles only making the decision, or do you think this whole you know a team behind the curtain bullshit is going to occur again with this potential head coaching vacancy? Because, like you said, it should be the top destination, and there are potentially quite a few good head coaching candidates that are available. I think Bobby Slowick is a name that people have obviously floated around because of the Houston Texans' success on offense this year, and um, the Bears' connection. His dad was one of Juan said Z coordinators. Right. And so there's that as well. And then obviously I feel like bears on tap here. We have nausea at nauseum talked about Ben Johnson as a, as a possible option certainly as well. So, you know, 
I, I want to know your thoughts. Like, what do you believe the ultimate decision could become if this becomes a vacancy, if Fluce is canned in, say, the next 48 hours? So my hope is that, yeah, I mean, it's it's Warren. It, it's Warren's show. He's running it. And obviously, I think if, if Eberflus is gone, I think it's Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles working in conjunction to find the best candidate and fill the vacancy. But my gut, man, my my gut says George George is heavily involved right now. Warren has the power, but they're not going to do anything until all three agree on something. And ultimately, if that Lee, I I really think, and this is pure speculation on my part, I think Eberflus is getting fired if they can come to an agreement with Jim Harbaugh. And if mm. they can't, I think Eberflus is back. That's pure speculation on my part. I don't have any source on that, but that's just, that's the read I'm getting right now. And that's, I mean, Harbaugh is far from the worst candidate in my mind. But he's also not my ideal choice. So, like, I'm not just saying that out of hope. I, I just that's the vibe I'm getting that if they, if they can make the money and the power structure work with Harbaugh, I think that they will move on. And I think that that is part of what is kind of taking some time here, personally. That's interesting. That it, that's interesting. And <laughs> Q said it. LOL. The McCaskey special. I, I think. I, I think it's 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 interesting because with Harbaugh, right? Like, do you think it's because of the Big Ten connection with Warren that they would want Harbaugh? Or do you think it's also because of the Chicago connection with Harbaugh as well that he feels like the candidate that they would want as a group? I think um I think Kevin Warren would be very open to any coach. I think Ryan Poles would be very open to a lot of coaches. I think George McCaskey has his eyes set on one guy who he feels like is a pretty sure thing. That's mm. going to – a guy who's going to come in and change things the second he's there and make sure that this team is a true playoff contender when they open that stadium. That that That's where I think his brain is. That's what I think really matters to the McCaskies, and that's – that's why I think Harbaugh is the is the domino here. That's totally fair. Skokes says uh, there is also the Rooney rule. Also, he believes uh, believe they can't make any behind the curtain agreement with Jim. I, I think they can't make a behind the curtain agreement per se, but I think they can at least talk to him and just yeah. say, "Hey, is this even a job you're interested in taking?" Because if Harbaugh comes back and says, "No, I want nothing to do with the Bears," then to your point, Q, right? Either they're keeping Fluce or they potentially do move on and, and look at a Ben Johnson or, or one of those other names. But, you know, at least the conversations, right, can be had and, and they can they can kind of figure things out. Because like Mr. Snipeyard says here, Eber Fluce in two seasons has proven that he is a horrible head coach. Horrible clock management and capable of winning games. And it's very hard to prove that uh, on a rebuilding team. But he... Again, at least on rebuilding teams, like, and this is coming from a Blackhawks fan, right? Like, you can see Luke Richardson's a good head coach because he gets a far inferior team in terms of talent on more often than not nights to compete with better teams in the league. Like, that is directly showing me that you are the right coach. And with 
you know, competent talent in a year, two years from now by growing and, you know, organically and developing, et cetera, that you'll be a contender and, and that's a good coach, right? Even yeah. here, though, there is nothing outside of a small stretch of games this season when that defense started to play really well that I think gives anybody the clue that Iberflus is truly a good head coach. Do you agree with that, Q? Yeah, I do. I mean, I can look at this. I mean, so let's see how many playoff teams did they play. So we got Packers, Bucks, Chiefs, Lions. Lions twice, Packers twice. So, I mean, they, they played five playoff teams. They went one and four. First one, they lost by 18. Next one, they lost by 10. Next one, they lost by 31. Then they lost by five. Then they then they actually won by 15 and then lost by eight. It's not, I mean, th- those were aren't even coin flip games except for one of them. One of, one of those four losses in five games is a coin flip. So, Realistically, if something flipped for you, maybe you can say they might have gone what two and three instead of one and four against those teams. It's just not it's not enough. And even then, the coin flip game you're talking about was an eight point deficit in a game that Green Bay controlled from start to finish. Like, I, I just don't I, there's nothing here that gives me a lot of confidence in their ability to win games let alone close out games when they get a huge lead because this is a coaching staff that in two years has blown five games where they had 90 percent win probability in the second half that is near impossible to do like that's just i I remember the odds of it happening three times in one season was less than one percent like that is just incompetence and it's it's insane to me that it's a consideration still but here we are. And I mean, I, I, I've said many times in this show, I was an Eberflus guy when they hired him, but that, that is severe incompetence to lose that many games that you should just not have even sniffed a loss in. 100%. I completely agree with you there. It just, it, it's frustrating, right? Too. Cause I think we as fans are, are sitting here and we're like, what is this, you know, what is this team going to do? And, and, where are they going to go and can they ultimately get this just get this right you know just getting it right would be so nice for once because it's been so long since this team has had what felt like a competent head coach and even you know not taking shots at people that don't necessarily deserve it but even lovey wasn't the greatest game manager as a head coach right like this 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 franchise has not been known for head coaches outside of mike ditka and let's be frank that team was incredible. Those 80s teams were great teams, and they only won one Super Bowl. So how are we even going to sit here and claim Mike Ditka is, is this immaculate head coach? They haven't had truly a great head coach probably since George Hallis, and that's just unacceptable as a yeah. franchise. You're a charter franchise. You are one of the, the craziest fan bases in the entire league, and yet you just – they refuse to operate with competency. And I think that is what is so frustrating here. And I think that's why fans are starting to get itchy right now, Q, waiting for this, this potential Eberflus decision because everybody's sitting here going, literally, you just you just talk through all the numbers there. You know, additional numbers here, down by 10 plus with less than five minutes ago, teams were 0-84 after the Bears-Lions first matchup, 1-84 when yeah. the Lions came back. Like, they literally did shit this year that was – 
like history defying in terms of just bad football. When does that even with a seven and 10 record? Cause quite frankly, they should have been 10 and seven, which yeah. is hysterical to think about when you consider like how meth this Green Bay wouldn't even had a chance at the playoffs. No. Wouldn't that would be the bear shot. spot. That would have been locked in Sunday, and they would have been resting starters. How about that? Tyson Bage. Well, no, Tyson Bajant was inactive. Nathan Peterman would have started that game. Damn it! How awesome like would that, that have been? That's that's the coaching though. Like that's your your coach this year was not a multiplier. He was a subtraction from from your team. Yeah, and that's that's just shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> and I mean it, that that discounts everything, you know, Monday through Saturday. But if you're not getting it done on Sunday, what like it's all for nothing, anyways. Yeah, absolutely right. Like it, it's great if you can you will the building Monday through Saturday, and guys love you and everything like that. It's great. But at the end of the day, you'll win and lose games on well, not always Sundays, but hypothetically speaking here, yeah. Sundays, right? Like you win and lose games on Sundays. I don't well, give a rat's ass what you do. I mean, they're actually pretty good on Monday and Thursday night football. So it really was. And their Saturday game. So really, really Monday was. through Saturday was all good. Yeah, it just <laughs> literally was Sunday, which unfortunately the NFL loves playing the Bears in that noon slot on Sundays more yeah. often than not. So it's like, well, shit, what are they going to do now? But in all seriousness, it's just, it's very frustrating when. Like, yeah, it's great to have good culture and it's great to have all that. Like, that's important stuff. Don't get me wrong. Very important stuff. But you still got to be able to win ballgames at the end of the week. And when when this coaching staff has clearly made an example that they can't, I, I think Sunday's game solidified it, right? Again, if they come out and beat the Packers, I don't even think we're having this discussion. I think Foos is guaranteed yeah. to be back. Maybe Getsy's gone and that's the, the big place that they have to go. Fields is probably still quarterback. Like there, there is no, oh, are they taking Caleb? It's probably, oh, who are they trading the first overall pick to and, you know, fleecing for, you know, tons of resources. It's total opposite discussion. Because like you said, despite an eight-point loss, they were not even in that game. No. We're not even in that game from the jump. And they, they got were, every break too. Like they, they did. It felt like things just kept coming up bears on, on little things, on penalties, on um, – on a fumble recovery on stuff like Tyreek Stevenson, knocking him out of bounds, going backwards, the clock runs like that. There was a lot that went in the bears favor. If that becomes more 50, 50, they may have lost that game by two scores. Yeah. And then it's, then it's even worse, right? Then we're really sitting here going, why the hell isn't Eberflus out the door? So I'm right there with you, man. It's going to be something interesting to see. Uh, Q, I want your thoughts here, though. Uh, we're going to have a little fun with this before we change over to the quarterback subject because we we need to address it at least a little bit. Eberflus, hypothetically, Eberflus is fired within the next 24 hours. Who do you want to see as the head coach of the Chicago Bears next? Um. Ben Johnson's still my – he's still, still number, number one, one on my candidacy. I mean, Slowick is super intriguing to me, but he's – man, I go back and forth on him because part of me says, like, he's young, inexperienced, but then the other part of me is like, who cares how young he is? He was raised in the NFL. 
He knows people. He knows how to get the staff together. He has all these connections. So Slowick is like 1B to me. Ben Johnson is 1A. Um, whereas, like, after that, that's where I start to get to, like, the Vrabels, the Harbaugh's, like they're both of them are right below those two uh, for me. But, and that is really just more about the quarterback development at that aspect. Like I'd really like an offensive play caller to be the coach with a rookie quarterback coming in. But yeah, after that Vrabel Harbaugh are there. And then like beyond that, I haven't thought about because the, the idea that all four of those guys would turn it down seem, just seems low to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel that. Uh, Mr. Here in the comments says Jim Harbaugh's his number one, Ben Johnson's his two, Vrabel's his three. I, I have to agree with you, Q. I, I think the reason that a Bobby Slowick is so intriguing as well, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, and maybe you do, and if you're listening, maybe you'll learn something from this comment. He was a part of that Washington staff that breeded Kyle Shanahan and McVay and Lafleur. And, you know, all these in- incredible head coaches now in the NFL, it's like, ooh, could he be just as good as all of them? Because, like, they've yeah. all worked out. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, none of them have been bad coaches by any means. I mean, shit, Sean McVay got a beat-up Rams team to the playoffs this year. Like, that's just – that's testament to good coaching and 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 Les Snead doing a good job in the front office, finding late-round talent. But – I thought that, like – Every offseason, I go through every team's roster and predict what I think is going to happen. I thought the Rams roster was number one pick worthy this year. Like what Sean McVay did with that team is outrageous. I mean, shit, Puka Nakua is a fifth round pick, became the all time rookie leader, leader in yards and receptions. I mean, it's not talked about enough. That team had nothing. Mm-mm. Like, now, Grant, I assume Matt Stafford's arm was shot. So that changes a lot. But like, you look at their O-line, you look at their defense outside of Aaron Dow, and you're just like, who the hell are these people? Th- th- that's how bad it was. And they are winning, and they're in the playoffs. It's insanity what they have done. It's a, it's a, it's a well-run organization. And again, I, I think just adding on to that, right, we've seen that type of winning in terms of a front office as well breed out from a place like Los Angeles because homes up in Detroit, is a disciple of Les Snead's. And we we now see what Detroit has become in just a few years under his reign up in Detroit. So, again, you, said, you know what it is? You said Brad Holmes. I thought you meant Holmes, like homie. Oh, no, like Holmes. Yeah, yeah, my bad. The Chicago accent killed me there. I apologize for uh, for not coming out clear. But, no, it just you know what it is, Q, at the end of the day? I just want the Bears to be a competent organization because I look around and I'm like, man, it'd be probably be pretty cool to be like a Rams fan or like, you know, uh, an Eagles fan or a Chiefs fan or a Baltimore Ravens fan. That's a really run well run organization. Like, I just want the Bears to be well yeah. run. Like when when to, to your point, the entire NFC North except for the Bears branches off from some degree from that Rams team. Lafleur was a QB coach there. Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connell was a QB coach there. Yep. And Brad Holmes was GM or was assistant GM. Assistant, yeah. Yeah. And again, it's just like you see these guys come from these great like organizations and you're like, man, 
that'd be pretty cool to have one of those. Like, it's like a shiny new toy. You're like, oh, where can I get one of those? Something interesting to think. Mr. Here says in the comments, Bobby Slowick is an honorable mention for him. He admits he doesn't know much about him. Uh, he does know, though, that he made an abysmal te Texans offense look good with Stroud, um, Tank Dell, and, and, and Nico Collins, and then a very spotty running back. Devin Singletary had a hell of a season, I will say. Um, and old line room is the conclusion of said comment. So PFF Bobby... Bobby Slowick, like you said, was on Washington, that Washington Shanahan staff. He is the mm -hmm. last person from that staff to not become a head coach yet. Bananas. After that time in Washington, he actually went and worked for PFF for a few years. Mm -hmm. PFF Bobby. And people within PFF say that the guy's a genius for what it's worth. But, um, so after that, after P after PFF, he uh, jumped on a staff with San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan sure. and moved his way up there until last year when he left with D'Amico Ryans to Houston. So and his background is defense initially. So he has both sides of the ball. He sees the game from both sides of the ball, which is something that's really intriguing about him. Is he he when he was on that Washington staff, he was on the de defensive quality control side. He was a quality yep. control coach for the de defensive coaches, and then he moved over to offense later. So yeah. you know that he understands coverages, which I think is so huge with an offensive coach. He understands coverages, he understands how a defensive coordinator wants to attack him when he does certain things, which I think is a massive factor. Yeah, and that's something that Q, I'm I'm so happy you brought up because there's so many football fans that like don't understand the importance of that, of just understanding how how would somebody attack what you want to do and how do you combat it? That's such a huge aspect of football. It's a chess match. That's yeah. what it is. Let's be honest. That's what that's what a football game is. It's a chess match. Each move is a play. Like yeah. we could break it down to a real simple factor here because a real life example that I can give you as well, albeit at a very much smaller level, but my hey, alma mater, the small levels are where the innovation happens. It all, it all that, goes up. It doesn't go down. Ain't that the damn truth for those that didn't know national title game last night, Pete DeBoer got his start in the NAIA as a head coach at Sioux Falls. So don't you dare say the NAIA football is not good football and can't produce good talent. Nonetheless, in the NAI, my alma mater, St. Xavier University, their current defensive coordinator, his name is Billy McEwen. Big shout out to Coach McEwen. He was a wide receiver as a player. He learned offense. He was a great offensive. He, he saw the game well on the offensive side. Since he's become a defense coordinator, the Kooks have consistently had one of the best defenses in the country underneath him in the NAI now over the last four or five years. It just goes to show it truly is important when you have a coach especially even as even if it's just a coordinator, not just as a head coach that understands both sides of the football, because it's just, it's going to help your game planning. It's going to help your understanding of what coaches are trying to do to attack what you want to do and how to combat that. And, and that to me is what is so intriguing about a guy like Bobby Slowick is like, Ooh, he, he's got that defensive, you know, that background. He works very well, clearly, with D'Amico Ryans. Because let's be honest, you know D'Amico's letting him have full control of the offense. D'Amico's probably not pushing his nose in there all, all too often, being a, a defensive guy historically. So knowing that a guy like Bobby Slowick can, can feel out both sides of the football like that and know how to attack at a defense because he would also know how to attack his own offense, 
electricity. It would be absolutely incredible yeah. to see. To um, that point, too, Kyle Shanahan is was famous for like the stories get talked about all the time with him of when he was a quality control coach and coming up and and assistant coach of him going and sitting in on the defensive meetings because he needed to understand the coverages and the ways that they were going to attack offenses for him to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's football, baby. How do you how do you one up your opponent on the other side? It's a it's a big ass chess match with real people. That's really all it is at the end of the day in the game of football. Um, but speaking of Q, because if we're talking about coaches as the 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 chess players, um, the quarterback's the king, right? I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's the most important piece on the chessboard, despite them not being able to move very Definitely far. The queen, then. Maybe it would be the queen. I was kind of leaning that way. I didn't know where to go with it because the queen can do whatever you I'm not want. Not a huge chess player, but I think the queen would be the quarterback. I, I like that. I think the see. I almost because like you need to protect the queen, and right? It, like it, it, yeah, and, and yeah. when you take down the queen, that means you win. Like I yeah, because like I mean, if you if you get rid of somebody's queen, they are probably defenseless. It's pawns and. The king well, that's moving the, one space around the board, praying to God. Correct me if I'm wrong. It. That's chess, isn't it? If you take down the queen, the game's over. King. Oh, okay. You take down the king. So chess is weird. So all right, this is this is clip worthy. Who knew we would talk about chess on Bears on Tap tonight? But <laughs> <laughs> the king is the the objective, right? You want to take out the king. You want you want to create a, a checkmate situation where the king cannot move anywhere without being taken out by your players. The queen is the most versatile piece okay. on the board, though, where the queen can move forward, can move side to side as many spaces as you want, can move diagonally. There is no restriction to the queen's movements, um, whereas like the knights, for example, can only move in an L shape, right? Yeah, where pawns can only move two and then one from there on out and attack, you know, diagonally. So there's there's no restrictions with the queen. So that's kind of where I was like. Maybe the queen kind of is the quarterback because at the end of the day, right, quarterback, you would think in terms of attacking is the most important piece on the field. But at the end of the day, like the king is what you need to defend. And it's the king's the football. There you go. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. The king's an inanimate object. It's the damn pigskin. And the, and the queen's just throwing them around the board. I kind of like that analogy, actually. I'm a really big fan uh, indeed. And, and, and Mr. here in the comments is given actually I kind of like this. We're gonna just draw this whole thing up. Pawns are the offensive line, the bishops are the wide receivers, the knights are the tight ends. Yeah. I like it. I like it, it a lot, actually. I'm I'm a fan. <laughs> I, I support it. I support it. Yeah, the rooks are the running backs. I like that. I like that a lot. That that's a good analogy. But you know, Q, I I think it's time, right? We're we're going from yeah. the chess players to the chess pieces. And in this case, the most important piece on the field, which is the quarterback. The, the argument has been occurring on Bears social media for weeks now. It, this is not a new subject by any stretch of imagination. But now that the season's finally over, it's it's at the forefront of a lot of conversations. What do you do with the number one pick? Do you trade it? Do you keep Justin Fields and you build around him? Or do you go get a Caleb Williams or maybe a Drake May? I don't think that's the case. But again, we'll entertain it for purpose of the conversation uh, at the top of the draft. So, Q... What's your gut telling you right now? Because I think the coaching has a lot to do with it as well. I think there's a lot of decisions that still need to be made before even the early inkling thoughts of what this team's going to do at quarterback kind of come to the forefront here. 
I mean, I'm going through your head. I'm, I'm on the Caleb Williams bus. I, I can't not be, I I just watched my seventh, eighth and ninth game from him today. And he's different. He's just different. Um, And I saw a stat the other day. I think it was from, is there from Stark two friends of the show? Is there Stark Kyle Orton or Robert Schmitz? It might have been both of them who were talking about it, but it was like some of the time to throw stuff with him, like his time to throw on scrambles is ludicrous. And that's what drives up his total number. It's like it's like almost six seconds on scrambles. Yeah, and the rest of them, it's like he's pretty pretty much like right around where I think you're supposed to be. Um, but Regardless of that, regardless of any numbers, I watch this guy play football, and it's just – it's art. It's beautiful. This this guy just – he is so calm and so cool and collected in so many moments where it's like, you shouldn't be able to do that. And he just understands space. He understands timing. He understands angles at such a high level for a college quarterback that it's just – you could tell me that he has an average to slightly above average arm and I'm still taking them. But then you throw on the facts. He has that howitzer and it's just like, what are we doing here guys? Like, I mean, the fumbles are an issue, but I watch him when I watch him pub fake and he's bringing the ball all the way out here and stopping. God doesn't have small hands. So I think the fumbles are fixable. At that point, it's not like he has a physical issue holding on to the football. It's more of a a mental issue of what he's doing in a moment when he's getting hit. So it's just, I think the best way I can, I can put it with him as far as selling him as a prospect is like most, most guys who go back for another year of college after being like Heisman caliber, maybe not necessarily winning the Heisman, but being like close take a pretty significant step backwards the next year because everyone is more prepared for them. Deshaun Watson took a huge step back his, his senior year. It's why he fell in the draft. Um, there were multiple other quarterbacks who was like, they went back to college another year and struggled. Trevor Lawrence, I think struggled more like as more tape, like as defenses found out how to stop them, they got worse. Right. Caleb's production really didn't get worse. That's a huge selling point to me. I mean, the guy was still put up like 40 touchdowns and something like six interceptions. Crazy numbers. It's huge. And as far as like the Bears quarterback situation, I think you're at a point here where you're pretty much going to have to decide if you're going to pay Justin Fields now because if you pass up the top two quarterbacks in this class – you are signaling to his agent who is not very well known for negotiating team friendly deals Mm -hmm. that we think Justin Fields is more capable than these two guys, which is just going to, that price tag just instantly skyrockets at that moment. Yeah. And fields can hold out fields can say, I don't want to sign a fifth year option. I don't want to be franchise tag. Like that's a real option for him to say, trade me. And then you're left holding Maybe you trade it back. You have some draft picks. That's great. You got to move up in next year's draft for a guy who's not the caliber 
of these two of Williams or May. I which a lot of years, and I will be the first to say, every year the quarterbacks get talked about like that. Like, well, you don't want to miss this guy, but this year's like this one's real. This one is real. These two guys are are such talented prospects, and Caleb specifically, I see special things all over his tape that I. I just don't know how you pass it. So I'm sitting here saying you have a number one pick, which has a much higher success rate with quarterbacks than any other section of the draft. Like I put this out on Twitter the other day about the number one pick quarterbacks versus the guys picked two through five versus the guys picked six through 15 and based on the guys through the rest of the first round. And the numbers are pretty clear. The number one picks have a much higher hit rate and you're pairing them pairing him onto a team that just won seven games. You're not putting him on a team that just went two and 15. You're putting on a team that is very close to being competitive. I think that's a pretty great situation to be in. Like, and you're not spending extra draft capital to do it, which is the even better part. You're not like the Rams who trade up to go get Jared Goff. Right. You're not like the, um, who else recently traded up to number the one? The 49ers, even to number oh, yeah. three. Not even just given, to number one. All that, all that capital. You're not having to do that. And to say we can push that off into the future, I think is just fool's gold when it's sitting right in front of you and you don't find these type of prospects every year. I mean, hell, you could have a year like what last year where Kenny mm-hmm. Pickett was the best quarterback and available. True. It's True. there's so much uncertainty around it. That I think you just gotta go do it. I will say the one thing with the Caleb Williams that I, I've I've learned more probably in the last week and a half or so of actually starting to peek into his tape a little more because admittedly, I was awful at watching college football this year, and people are probably like, Ron, why were you awful at watching? I worked a lot of Saturdays, so for me, like I was working when all these teams were playing. I, I didn't really get to catch a lot of these USC games. That arm is bananas. Like yeah. that to me is the thing that screams off the paper, right? Because like, it's cool that he can avoid pressure. And like, we see that with Justin Fields, but that arm is nuts. Like that thing. I mean, that is a laser beam coming off of his right hand when yeah. he's throwing the football. And again, I mean, elite arm talent is hard to find, right? Like there's very few guys yeah. in the NFL that again, even our starting quarterbacks that are very good that have elite arm talent. Like you're probably talking Mahomes. You're probably talking, Maybe CJ Stroud now, right, is kind of maybe in that conversation. Like elite arm talent is hard to come by. A couple quick comments here to Q, and, and then I, I know you've got more for us as well. I can already feel it in your voice and your excitement to talk about Caleb Williams. <laughs> uh, but Mr. says, I'm for keeping fields. Not only has he shown the potential, but the hall way too large to pass up. Um, he continues on with that saying, Caleb Williams or Marvin Harrison Jr., New England second, New England 2025 first, and another third in 2025 potentially. Um he continues that though. He says he does see the argument for Williams, though. Very good prospect. Uh, and you do still have a second first rounder for another receiver who is still there, but he would personally prefer Fields. And then he adds, uh, he sees that you are more of a Caleb Odunze guy <laughs> than the uh, the Fields MJ, MHJ. If neighbors is there, give me neighbors. But uh, if that's not, fair. I'm all for Odunze. That's fair. And then Skokes a little bit earlier said he's completely capable of playing in time in a great system. And that was uh, in relation to Caleb Williams. So, Q, any, anything additional here on, on Caleb Williams? Just, I mean, so just one thing you said about evading the pressure like that. So I just want to draw a line there. Like it's not, the thing with Caleb is not 
how good he is at evading pressure as much as because that's what Fields is great at, right? Fields right. can can make you look like a fool when you're trying to tackle him behind the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Caleb, it's I think there's only three quarterbacks in the league who work the pocket at the level that Caleb does. And it's Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, and Kyler Murray. There may be Joe Burrows in there. Joe Burrow's probably in there. So give me four. But the way that he can work the ins and outs of the pocket, the way he manipulates defenders who are coming at him behind his back and they don't even know that he knows, and the way that he is just shuffling back a little bit to get their line line right and then taking three steps forward to make them just fly by them and there's no recovering. That is such a massive trade at the quarterback position that is just – you don't see college quarterbacks doing that. I, I don't sure. remember seeing college quarterbacks doing this, aside from maybe Kyler and Pat Mahomes. Those are the only two that I can remember who could do this, and even them, I don't feel like they do it as fluidly or they did it in college as fluidly as Caleb does. Yeah, and I think, too, though, Q, just one thing I want to add on to the Caleb Williams comment conversation here, not even so much about the player, but I think, too, with the guys that you mentioned, right, they went into situations with good head coaches that helped develop them, right? I know right. Kingsbury got some weird remarks, but, like, he – he helped Kyler look really good in the NFL. And then obviously in addition to that, right. Pat Mahomes going to Kansas city was a perfect case scenario for him. So I think that further kind of emphasizes for lack of a better term, the importance of getting the head coaching candidate, right? Because if maybe if you do bring in a Ben Johnson or a Bobby Slowick, the quarterback development with Caleb Williams into the future, maybe the bears finally do have a truly elite quarterback on their hands for the first time in franchise history. Instead of these guys that I'll be honest, I think Justin Williams has been failed or Justin Williams, Justin Fields has been failed by this franchise in terms that he probably could have been developed a lot better too. So again, that's a whole nother, you know, kind of piece of the equation here to make sure that they get things right. If that is the the way uh, they want to go this offseason. You, the way to foster a quarterback who has explosive traits like fields is probably not to put him in the 200 club. That's and tell him don't take risks and not give him a ton of talent outside. Cause I mean, the real way to, I, I think that you would have developed a Justin Fields would have been saying, go, go out there and play, go out there and figure out what you can, can't do. You, you do, you throw an interception. I'm the head coach. That's, probably on me. I put you in a bad spot. You don't instead what he got was don't turn the football over 200 yards, zero sacks, whatever it was, or two touchdowns, zero sacks, zero turnovers, the 200 club. And I'm just, that scares me with developing another quarterback that that is the mentality. 100%. I I completely agree with you there, Q. Uh, There's a lot to come. Uh, this off season, obviously there's, there's tons of questions that need to be answered before we probably can give any further thoughts on what we think the bears are going to do and what not do. Um, it, there's a lot to be done. Quick comment here from Skokes. Uh, he says, now it just comes down to the meetings with Caleb, even some of his podcasts and interviews, he's a bit goofy and some had some questionable answers, hoping polls and staff gets to the bottom of it. Yep, absolutely. And that, that's a huge part of the, the upcoming draft process. He's a weird dude. Happen. Yeah. But some of the greatest quarterbacks are weird dudes. I was just gonna say some of the greatest like to do it at anything they do in this world are usually yeah. 
a couple of screws are loose. Like that's just kind of status quo. Um, I, I'll admit that I'm 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 very kooky as a human being, and that's the <laughs> only reason that I am semi entertaining on a microphone. Like that just is what it is. But uh, nonetheless, um, it, like you said, man, it happens. Quarterbacks are weird ducks. Kickers are weird ducks, right? But if they're good at their craft and they're good at and they help you win football games, like. There's a lot of things you yeah. can look past and just be like, ah, all right, whatever. That's just him being him. And it's the end of the day. But Q, uh, before we start to wrap things down, it, we're worthy and, and, and worth bringing attention. Uh, once again, I know we've talked about it over the last couple of shows and brought light to it a little bit, but building the board. It's going to be kicking off here in probably the coming days. Uh, articles will start being released from the ontapsports.com website. Uh, but Plenty of profiles have already started being released over on the X app by our, our participants in building the board. So Q, I'm going to give you the floor here, buddy, because this one is yours to coordinate. Yeah, so we got we got a handful of scouts here. We got from ONTAP, we got Bruno Osier, we got Nick DeMeo, myself. We have Robert Schmitz coming in to scout with us and doing podcasts with us, as well as Ron is helping as well here. And then Tom Cavanaugh and Steve Letizia. So we are building top 100 big boards specific to these Chicago Bears. We are putting out video content on the X app about as many prospects as we can. We are writing articles over at ontapsportsnet.com with the video embedded in it. And with we're given our, our strengths, our weaknesses, and every one of these scouting reports is going to come with a Bears fit. How does this player fit the Chicago Bears? Is it a fit? Is it not? Is there someplace the Bears can use them? What, around what round would it make sense for the Bears to look at this guy? We're giving you that. That is our goal, to build the, the board specific to the Bears' needs, the Bears' wants, the Bears' scheme. So right now, we're in some, some uncertainty around that because we're not exactly sure what the scheme is going to look like. And we're aware of that, but we're putting scouting reports out as fast as we can with it. We should start seeing some of them roll online this week, I believe. And we are very excited about it. The podcasts, you can check them out here at the bears on tap channel or bears on tap, Twitter on the on tap sports net, YouTube channel on the Facebook, wherever you watch us, you will be getting the building the board episodes right there every week starting let's see i want to say the 20 the week of the 22nd we haven't set the exact date yet but the week of january 22nd is our kickoff two episode two weeks yeah. from now yeah two weeks from now and then we will have daily episodes from the senior bowl we will have at least three of us there at the senior bowl live watching these guys sending out tweets updates about what we're seeing and then getting on the mic that night to talk it all through. Um, and then for, after the Senior Bowl, we will have two episodes per week, one per position group where we're talking through prospects. Yeah, it's it's going to be an awesome process, uh, awesome project, people. Like for everybody listening, that might be like, "Wow, that sounds like it's going to be crazy and over the top and tons of content." Yes, it is, but it's going to be awesome uh, seeing the behind the scenes of it already. The meetings that we've had internally discussing, just kind of game planning and what expectations are and things like that. Uh, it's going to be really cool. I, I'm I'm super stoked to even be a small part of it. Um, you guys are, are already crushing it behind the scenes here, and I'm excited to see the stuff start getting released here this week. Um, and I. 
highly encourage everybody to to tune in and, and be a part of it because it's going to be an awesome project. And I think it's going to really give a lot of our listeners incredible insight really into who these guys are and, and who some of these guys are that the bears might end up taking when April rolls around um, here in, in just a few months. I mean, it's, it's going to get here quickly folks. I, I know everybody's like, Oh, April's so far away, but don't, don't, don't act like that. Cause it, it'll sneak up on you. Trust me. I, I'm all too familiar with that. Um, and and th- these guys are, some of the best brains that I've met in the, in the bears social media community. So uh, do, do follow along here at bears on tap. Well, and from the content side, our goal is to have our big board locked in and all of our reports out by April 1st, because you guys need to be able to read them. You guys need to be able to see them. If we're putting stuff out the week of the draft, that means we, we messed up. We're too late. Like you guys can only take, take in so much right. in one week before the draft, so from our end, we need to be on it now. 100%. Yeah, tons of planning going into it, but it's going to be great. Uh, again, be sure to follow at Bears on Tap on the socials. Follow Q over at Butka Stats, uh, and be sure to follow all of our other great contributors as well. Um, you will can see, you will start seeing them tagged on the ONTAP Sportsnet account, so you can follow them there. You probably already follow them, honestly, um, because a lot of them are incredible minds uh, in the Bears social media community. So uh, if you aren't following them yet, you certainly should, and, and, and if you are already, you'll, you'll recognize their work uh, when it starts getting released here from ONTAP tapsportsnet.com Q, I'm excited. I know you're excited as well. Uh, it's going to be really cool. And uh, this kind of does really wrap up uh, the season for us. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we're, we're going to include some, some content at some point. We're going to take next week off because we need to rally a little bit and start getting on the building the board. But uh, I'm sure you'll hear from us before the end of January. We'll do kind of one of those classic, what was our favorite and least favorite moments of the season and things like that. Um, and obviously, as major news happens, uh, you will probably hear from us as well at Bears on Tap. But that is at least the scheduled programming that is coming up, and it will be very heavily central around building the board. Um, but, yeah, as things happen, as we get closer to free agency, um, obviously, if free agent signings happen, uh, there will be shows then to accompany accompany that and, and provide more insight on that as well. Um, Mr. Here says you should do a mock draft. Uh, we kind of are in we a will. little bit in, of way. In, yeah. April, in April, we will be doing live mock drafts where we have a roundtable of scouts and a guest GM. And all of us scouts are pitching to the GM who, who the pick should be. It's going to be electric. It's going to be so cool. I, again, I'm I'm super stoked to even be a small part of it. Um, you guys are already cranking, and it's been incredible. It's going to be a cool project, so highly encourage everybody uh, to tune in. If you're itching for you know prospect content and, and draft content throughout the next couple of months, this is the place to be right here at ONTAP Sportsnet with the guys on the Building the Board project. It's going to be pretty, pretty electric. Q, any final thoughts before we uh, kind of wind this thing down and, and take a week off and, and recover after a hell of a ride of a roller coaster season in 2023? No, I think I bared my soul. So I think I think I'm good. I feel that. I feel that. I am also good. Uh, it was a fun season, though. And again, I, we'll, we'll yeah. have a show kind of recapping our favorites and least favorites. But right now, we're I think we're waiting for the shoe to drop with the coaches. Uh, and then we'll we'll really start to, to kind of move things along. And uh, if you're itching for more content, perhaps if you're a Bears fan here watching us. So we have, for the first time in a long time, our, our Bears on Tap crew as a whole are a bunch of Cubs fans. Um, as my buddy Skokes here or a little bit earlier said, side note, Ron, Cubs are signing in. 
Minaga. They did something. They finally did something. And guess what? You can hear me yell and scream about it tonight on Cubs on Tap right here on the ONTAP Sportsnet YouTube channel. So, again, be sure to tune in for that. It'll be great. Tune in all our, our other great shows as well. We have the Golf on Tap guys going live tonight as well. We've got Blackhawks over at Four Feathers Pod. The Bulls on Tap guys are incredible. They do such a good job. Um We've, we've got it all covered for you here. And yes, even the Sox guys, as Mr. Says, he says, go Sox. The Sox on tap guys do a great job. They're actually working on a really cool off-season project as well that should be released in the coming weeks too. So be on the lookout for that um, from the boys over at Sox on tap. OnTapSportsNet.com, at OnTapSportsNet on the socials. Be sure to check us out everywhere you do. And OnTapSportsNet is the place to be. The OnTapSportsNet, we'll go and check out what's on tap in Chicago Sports Q. It's always a pleasure, my friend. The 2023 season has come to a close, but we are far from done. It's going to be an awesome off-season. This is a potentially franchise-altering offseason. There will be plenty to talk about here at Bears on Tap. But until then, Q, what do you say? We leave them with a good old bear down? Bear down.